Welcome to worship today. We serve a God who gives us great things, and we provide worship to him back. Amen? We sing to the king today. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us find a seat. He has the great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has the great things. He and iCampus viewers, we're so glad that you are here today. We're glad that you're present with us in the service, and we're glad that you are present with us if you're watching online. Thankful that you are here. As Thomas mentioned in the video, make sure you fill out that connection card. We just want to get to know you just a little bit better. If you are visiting with us today, we consider you our guest, and we're delighted to get to know you a little bit better. Our pastor and his wife, Rebecca, would like to get to know you better as well and give you a free gift at the close of our service. It is a copy of his book, The Privilege of worship. So when we're done today, would you meet both of them out in the foyer of our sanctuary so that we might shake your hand or give you a fist bump or just get to know you and uh, love on you a little bit today. 
You have heard about our Appalachian mission trip that is coming up July the 25th through, the August, through August 1st. If you are interested in going on that trip and if you have already signed up on that trip, there is an important informational meeting following our service today over in the snack bar. It won't last long. We just want to give you some information and find out some information from you and just give you some details on that as well. Today, may our faith and our trust and our commitment be in the Lord. We're grateful for our freedom today. Amen? We celebrate that. We celebrate our nation, and we celebrate our freedom in Jesus. We worship King Jesus. Would you stand together as we sing? There is no doubt that God's hand, His divine providence, has truly kept us free. It is His hand that has blessed us so abundantly. In times of war, He granted us courage to stand up to our enemies. In times of want, He has given us resilient spirits to carry on. In times of prosperity, He has revealed His power through us.
Praise the Lord. You may be. We do pray that the Lord would shed his grace on America and that there would be brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Both of those things are desperately needed in our day. Today we're going to consider a text from 2 Chronicles at the end of which there is this statement made, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I believe God is looking again around the world, across our nation, for people to have hearts totally and completely committed to him. And I pray, and I know that you pray, that America will catch God's eye and that there will be people who will be faithfully committed to him. So we want to have a time of focused prayer this morning. I invite you, if you're on the ground level, to take that kneeler and, and take a knee with me as we pray together and seek the Lord's face this morning. Gracious God, we are so grateful for all that you have done to bring about the United States of America. Lord, things that we remembered this weekend. Lord, celebrating the great faith, the great strength and commitment of our founding fathers. Lord, in their desires and their ideals to see a strong and fruitful nation. And Lord, we've enjoyed that. We've been a part of a strong and fruitful nation for many, many years, and we're grateful that. We are proud to be Americans. We're grateful for our country. But Lord, we also know that right now there is a lot of turmoil from sea to shining sea. And Lord, there is a breaking down of brotherhood. There is a lot of uh, disunity. It seems like if there's something to divide over, there's division over it. And so God, we pray for you to sweep across our nation and we pray once again for a great awakening to come for only if you are in the midst of a nation can it be a truly good and strong nation and so lord we pray that you would speak to our hearts lord the individual hearts of every citizen of the united states of america and that you would call them to yourself lord i pray that you would begin that call with people who are believers and God that we would be strengthened in our faith Lord that you would make pulpits aflame again with the power of the word preached in truth and in sincerity and with passion we pray God that we would receive it we pray that there would be a, a breaking and a moving away from a nominal casual cultural Christianity and that Lord there be a vibrant faith in our nation and that God we would see you do wonderful things Lord, we pray that as you look, you would catch, your eye would catch us. Lord, that you would catch us individually, that you would see us as a church, that you would see your people, and that, God, you would do a great work. Lord, bless America. As, as America blesses you, we pray that you would bless America. Bring America back to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you thankful that the Lord hears us when we call to Him today? We march in His army today. We're thankful for that together. Let's worship and sing. Whom shall I fear? Stand. Let's sing together.
praise the Lord for that truth today. Amen. Please be seated. The United States had only existed for about 50 years when French writer Alexis de Tocqueville visited in 1831. And already, the United States had distinguished itself as a great nation. De Tocqueville 
lauded the American experiment, but noted an unexpected secret behind our nation's greatness at the time. And he wrote, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forest, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. De Tocqueville happened to visit the United States in the midst of the Second Great Awakening as the churches of New England were indeed aflame with revival's fire. And the evangelist Charles Finney's ministry was expanding into the largest cities of America. And what de Tocqueville found was a nation like no other, strong in every way, politically, educationally, agriculturally, and more, but also spiritually. And that, he said, made all the difference. What an image. Pulpits aflame with righteousness, resulting in a good and a great nation. Today, America stands in desperate need of pulpits to be aflame. Because America is falling away from good. If she continues on her current path, she will cease to be great. And once she ceases to be great, she will eventually cease to be. While I have not read his massive work, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon has attributed the fall of the empire to five reasons. One, the rapid increase of divorce, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Two, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies for free bread and circuses for the populace. Three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. Four, the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. Number five, the decay of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to warn and guide the people. Does that sound eerily like the United States today? I'm proud to be an American, but I'm not all, of all that proud about some things about America. What can we do to reverse the spiritual decline and push America back to being good and, and serving her good God? It comes from giving the Lord full commitment. According to Alexis de Tocqueville, there was an evident commitment to God in America 200 years ago. And we need to get back there today. And so this morning, we're going to see the difference that total commitment makes in a nation. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Chronicles chapters 14, 15, and 16. Three chapters of the book of 2 Chronicles for today's message. And some of you thought, good night, we're going to be here until 3 o'clock today. And everybody watching on home is thinking, glad I got on my pajamas and I'm in my recliner. But don't worry, it won't be that long. <laughs> Herschel Corley just gave me the remote signal, click off. <laughs> I hope y'all are still with us. <laughs> no, we'll be, we were, we're going to cover three chapters, but do it in a, a quick way. Uh, these three chapters cover the reign of King Asa of Judah. Now, to situate ourselves in the history of Israel and Judah, remember that Israel was a united kingdom under its first three kings of Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. 
After Solomon's death, though, the nation split in two, and there was Israel to the north and then Judah to the south. Israel was ruled by mostly wicked kings and eventually uh, was destroyed in 722 B.C. Judah fared a little better because they had more godly kings, and they lasted until 586 B.C. Asa was one of the more godly kings of Judah's history. King Asa ruled in the later 900s B.C., about 60 years after King David, who was Asa's great-great-grandfather. Both the author of Kings and the author of First and Second Chronicles evaluate the kings of Israel and Judah based on their covenant faithfulness to God. They don't evaluate based on political expertise or military prowess, although these kings usually were pretty good at those things as well. Instead, the authors of Kings and Chronicles are concerned with just one thing. Were these kings committed to God... And did they lead their nation to be committed to God as well? Asa was committed to God. Well, at least at the beginning. And that's why when I came to this passage in my daily Bible reading a couple of months ago, I felt the Lord leading me to preach on this topic, this passage, for this particular weekend, for an Independence Day weekend. Today, I want us to glean some lessons in commitment as we celebrate our nation's birthday. And the first lesson is this. People who seek God are committed to God. Look at 2 Chronicles 14, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to pick up in the second sentence of chapter 14. Asa, Abijah's son, succeeded him as king, and in his days the country was at peace for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him peace rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. And the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. What's interesting about the history of Asa is he apparently lacked good spiritual examples as he was growing up. Neither his father Abijah nor his grandfather Rehoboam were fully committed to the Lord. Further, his grandmother Micah was apparently a leader of a pagan cult of a fertility goddess. Some might say Asa didn't stand a chance to become a godly king. And yet he begins his reign with total commitment to the Lord. And the reason for that commitment is found in verse 4 where we read, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. Though it likely didn't come from his dad or his granddad or his grandma, someone must have taught Asa the truths of his great-great-grandfather David, who wrote things like Psalm 22, verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And Psalm 40, verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. You see, Asa believed that blessings come to the nation whose people seek to obey God. Therefore, Asa called upon his people to do so. And then, to help them be committed to the Lord, he removed the temptation to false worship. He went throughout the entire kingdom and removed the idols and places where false worship was occurring. And because of Asa's faithfulness, the Lord gave the nation 
peace. Therefore, Asa, Asa used that time of peace to build up his fortified cities and to strengthen his nation for whatever might come in the future. And as Asa did so, he told the people, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. When you maintain focus on the right things, distractions are minimized or even eliminated. And you can focus on the most important things. You're able to plan ahead instead of always playing catch up. You're able to spend your time acting on vision instead of reacting to chaos. See, obedience brings rest, outward tranquility, inward calm, whereas disobedience brings the opposite. Our nation's focus today is not right. We're not seeking the right things, and therefore we are spending our time reacting to events instead of acting on vision. I mean, think about it. For years, we have not had time to deal with the first crisis over here before another crisis springs up over there. But now, the crises are not just here and there. They're everywhere all at once. And, and everyone is impacted by one crisis. And before we can react to it, another springs up that impacts everyone. And we're in this continual cycle of turning on the news every day and wondering, what's next? This chaos is coming at us because our nation's focus is not on God. And it will not get back on to God until our pulpits become aflame with the gospel and our people seek God. While I'd love to blame the political leaders for the state we're in, the blame rests right here and in every church across America. As a nation, we've been forced into a reactionary mode and we must get out of it. We must seek the Lord and his vision for us. Reaction leads to regression from vision, whereas action leads to progression towards vision. King Asa's grandfather Solomon wrote, Where there is no vision, the people perish. In Proverbs 29, 18. Vision comes when we are actively seeking God, not reactively dealing with issues as they crop up. And so let's seek the Lord, for people who seek God are committed to him. The second lesson that we can glean from Asa's reign is this. People who are committed to God are strengthened by God. Because Asa had people focused on God, he was able to prepare for whatever might be coming up ahead. Asa fortified the cities. He built up his army. But Asa at the same time knew that wouldn't be enough against some of the foes in the surrounding foreign armies. Judah was a very small kingdom. It was nothing compared to some of the surrounding nations. And in the second half of chapter 14, Zerah the Cushite and his vast army, the NIV says came against King Asa and the army of Judah. Some have suggested that Zerah's army, and that word vast, is capturing the idea that there were some million soldiers. If that's the case, we are told in verse 8 that Asa had less than half that number. Asa could not possibly defeat Zerah on his own. He needed God's help. Therefore, Asa set his troops in order... And then he fell on his knees before his commander-in-chief. And we read in verse 11 of chapter 14, Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Notice that Asa's complete confidence is in God. He identifies himself and his army as powerless, so his confidence isn't there. 
even though they're well-trained, Asa's confidence is not in his army. Asa also indicates that it will be God who fights for Judah because he says both that they are relying on God and that God must not let man prevail against him. He doesn't say don't let this army prevail against us. He says don't let man prevail against you. Asa believed that those who are committed to God are strengthened by God. Even a small number can accomplish mighty things when they're empowered by Almighty God. That's because when you are committed to God, He doesn't just have your back. He's got your front, your left side, your right side, your top, and your bottom as well. Psalm 512, for surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Psalm 125, verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The God of angel armies is always by our side. Ever increasingly, The Christian voice seems to be pushed aside. But friends, he who is with us is greater than he who is in the world. Yet I do have concern about the church today. Casual, nominal Christianity is rampant in our nation. The flippant way in which we view our faith uh, came home to me... uh, a month or so ago as Rebecca and I watched the Netflix series Sweet Magnolias. And if you hadn't watched it, it's a good chick flick show. And uh, it's good. The series is good in many ways. But it is telltale of how we treat our faith, especially in the South. You got three ladies about which the show revolves. They use alcohol as liquid encouragement. Have margarita nights, they get together to talk about their problems. They fornicate on Saturday night, and then they're in church on Sunday morning without a modicum of repentance. Their supposed faith hadn't changed a thing about their lives. And that's troubling, but it's so telling of the state of the church in America. And even the church in the Bible built south. God cannot be relegated to an hour on Sunday or just one little portion of our lives. He has to permeate all of our lives. We, like Asa, need to rely on God. It's interesting that word translated rely there. Um, or sometimes in some translations it may be rest there in verse 11. Rely or rest seem to be the words the translations use. It's not a common word in the Old Testament, but there is a striking picture with it. The same word is used in the tragic story of the death of King Saul. If you remember the story, there's a a servant uh, or, or a young man who runs and tells David that Saul is in trouble and about to be defeated. And he tells him that this wearied and wounded and brokenhearted and nearly defeated monarch, King Saul, had leaned on his spear. The spear was an emblem of royalty. It was his support. That's all he had left. And Saul was putting everything he had on that spear. Just as Saul leaned on his spear for support, as he put all of his faith in his monarchy, so we need to put all our faith in our God. That's what Asa did. Asa wasn't relying on his monarchy. He wasn't relying on his position. He wasn't relying on his throne. He was relying on his God. Alexander McLaren writes, If we have made God's cause ours, he will make our cause his down to the minutest point in our daily lives. But it comes by relying on God. Chapter 15 is a chapter of triumph and, and, and encouragement. And God provides needed encouragement to Asa 
at, to keep going on. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, we read, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Skip down to verse 7. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. These words encouraged Asa to keep pressing on. And, and he led the people in national renewal. I don't know how popular that was. I don't know what the media outlets were saying. But he continued to press on with God's encouragement. Look at verse 9. He assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them for large numbers, look at this, had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. It's an attractional nature to faith in God. Then skip down to verse 12. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. What a picture of revival is found there in verse 15. The people rejoiced in the commitment they had made because they had made it wholeheartedly. They began seeking the Lord eagerly. But even in times of great glory and great revival, there was opposition. Remember how I told you Asa did not have any good examples in his family? Well, apparently dear old grandma... Gave him some trouble. And if you look in verse 16, King Asa also deposed his grandmother Micah from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive Asherah pole. Asa cut the pole down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Granny, your apple pies are heavenly, but your Asherah pole is of the devil. Put your teeth in, Grab your walker, you're out of here. That took some strength, huh? Kick out your own grandma. But she wasn't being faithful to the cause. It took bold commitment on Asa's part to lead the nation to repentance and renewal and cleanse the nation of evil practices, even those led by members of his own family. People who are committed to God, though, are strengthened by God. And Asa was, and so should we be. Unfortunately, Asa's story does not end as well as it began. Even the most committed of people can drift away from God and rely on themselves instead of God. And that brings us to our third lesson, which is people who are not committed to God lose the protection of God. For 35 years, Asa reigned and had perfect peace and clear vision. But then somewhere along the way, he forgot that the national blessings he enjoyed came from God. Therefore, when the northern kingdom of Israel rose up against Asa's kingdom of Judah to the south, Asa made a deal with the king instead of praying to the king of heaven. We see this in verse 16, verse Chapter 16, verses 1 and 3. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Arab, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Asa makes a deal with the king of Aram instead of praying to the king of heaven. The plan worked politically. 
but it was devastating spiritually because it revealed that Asa's heart had turned from God. And the prophet Hanani rebukes Asa. Look at verse 7. At that time, Hanani's seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. 35 years previously, God had found in Asa one whose heart was fully committed. And now Asa had changed. Therefore, God's hand would no longer be upon him as it had been. Peace would turn to war. Action on vision would turn to reaction to crisis. And as so often happens, once Asa stepped away from God, once he continued to step away from him more and more and more, he never learned his lesson. He didn't heed the prophet's rebuke. Instead, he became angry. He even began oppressing some of his people. And unfortunately, Asa never learned. Look down at verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet, Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. And then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. It's a tragic ending to an otherwise great story. But it's a reminder that people who are not committed to God lose the protection of God. What a reminder for all of us that we need full commitment to God today. We may celebrate our national independence, but we need to remember that that was independence from a foreign ruler. We must be dependent upon Almighty God. In fact, the Declaration of Independence both begins and ends with clear devotion to God who is called our Creator, our Supreme Judge, the author of Providence. Don't let anybody tell you that's not God. That's the one true God. The rights we have, the freedoms we enjoy come from God, not from a government. And we should be grateful for that. We may say that it is in God we trust, but we must live that motto as well. We started strong as a nation, but we must continue strong as a nation. Let's not be like Asa who fizzled out as his commitment waned. Let's fan the embers of commitment to God to full fire, trusting in our God and relying on him with all that we have. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered General George Washington to open fire on the family home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home, only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. And a few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. Those men had a commitment to their cause. And because they did, we're here today. May our commitment match that of our founding fathers, not merely to be a nation, but to be a nation under God. God will only bless America as America blesses God. Let's give him our full commitment, for that is 
what is needed. Let's pray together. Lord, we know your eyes range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you. And so, Lord, we pray that your eyes would find us. Help us, Lord, to be bold in our faith and to be true in our faith. Lord, we can't make the commitment for the rest of those who profess faith in you, but as for us, as for we and our households, as for this church, we want to be committed. We want our pulpit to be a flame. We want our church family to be a flame with the fire. We want to be genuine and real in everything that we do. So, God, I pray that you would speak to us and draw us close to your heart. Lord, do what's needed in us to bring full and complete commitment to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the example of Asa, both the good and the bad, so that we can learn from it and be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. And if you're comfortable coming, I invite you to come forward and share a decision that you might have. It may be for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, making a true and firm commitment in Him today. It may also be that you want to recommit yourself to the Lord. Maybe you've been kind of casual, complacent, nominal. And you feel the Lord calling you closer to him. And I encourage you to come and to make that commitment today. But also, the altar is open for you to come and lift up your family, our church, our nation in prayer today. As we stand and sing this song of invitation, follow the Lord's leading in your heart. great to see you today. I pray that the Lord will use you this week as we scatter throughout this community and wherever he takes us and that he'll help us to speak the truth in love this week. The closing prayer today. One of our students who just recently graduated from high school is going to be headed to LSUA. I'm thankful for that because that means she's going to stay local. Amen. Delaney, come and close our service today with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for being with us today and allowing us to come together to worship you in your house. It is such a blessing to be able to pause and listen to your word and the message Pastor Stewart has brought to us. I pray that you keep this message in our hearts as we go about this coming week. I also pray that you are with us as we are still going through difficult times in our country. Just remind us that as long as we put our faith and trust in you, things will get better. Thank you for this amazing church family, and we pray that you just let us be a bright spot for our community and allow us to be the light for you this week, Lord. Bless every family here, for it is in your name I pray. Amen.